All right, so today is the Son of God. So, those of you that are guests, those of you that are watching the first time, I've kind of done a shtick a couple times every other sermon. I, I give a little recap. What we have been doing is uh, a sermon series on rediscovering Jesus. This does not mean that, like, you don't know him and you haven't discovered him. That's silly. You're here. I'm sure you have discovered him. But this is a notion of rediscovering, knowing him in some maybe different attributes and some different lengths. Um, and so here's the thing, right? Many of us come to faith and we may only know Jesus as Mashiach or Messiah, Christ. And that's an awesome thing to know him as. It's needed because that's salvation. But how many of you know, I'm sure many of you do know at this point, that there's actually a lot of different functions, roles, titles, and positions that Jesus holds. And some of those we may not have, um, well, maybe have studied or looked at, right? And some, some of those have been, <clears throat> that we've carried on as the Lamb of God, uh, Lord himself, right? I am Lord, he says. What were some of the other ones that we, we, we did? It's been like... A long time. It's like pretty much half a, a, a high priest, of course, right? Uh, Lamb of God, we said. The Word, the divine reason. Yeah, thank you. So, there, I mean, we could do this forever because there's so many titles and positions. I just want to encourage you with that, right? To know the depths of Jesus. Not just to know him as the Messiah, but to know him in his fullness. All right, so we're going to open up into John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 31. And uh, we have this right here, right? 10, verse 31. <clears throat> then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Yeshua, Jesus, answered them, Many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If you called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blasphemy? Because I said, I am the Son of God. But if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Lord, we just come before you and we just bask this portion of service into your hands, Lord. We want your presence here, Father, from the beginning to the end, always, as we're walking with you. And I just pray, Lord, that there be a revelation of who you are as Son of God. And not just a revelation, but a carrying out and a walking out in spirit and, in fact, in practicality. We just pray that in your name. Amen? All right, so this is lovely. Because the reality here is, I, I think this might be one of the more, most perplexing verses in the entirety of the Bible. This is Jesus saying to, really, the Pharisees, and it's also the psalmist, which I think was David, who is going to say that you are gods. Oh my, like what is going on here? Now don't worry, we're not saying that we are gods. So don't, you know, get these scowls. No, like, 
But this is a perplexing statement. I mean, Jesus is saying like, oh, well, the scriptures do say that you are God's. So what's the big deal if I say I'm the son of God? He's using that as a way to justify his teachings before the Pharisees. And so it's very, very, very kind of perplexing in some regards. And uh, people have gone really astray with this. For example, the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, believe that they, when they die, that they are going to be resurrected and they are going to become gods and they are going to have a planet and they're going to settle that planet and civilize that planet. That is the original intent for polygamy within the Mormon church. If you're going to die and have to settle a planet, you're going to have to have a lot of wives to do that. Because we are gods. You see, that cult took it that way, right? So you have to be very careful with these things. Like You have to be biblically grounded and know what is really going on. Okay? So you have a whole church movement, quote-unquote church movement, you know what I'm saying, like a, a, a cult, a cult that has done that. Okay? Now, what's really going on is you have to read the Bible, right? Jesus quotes from Psalm 82, and he leaves a portion of that Old Testament reference out on purpose. The reason why he leaves it out is because he's playing a game with the Pharisees, he's catching them in their own lies. Let's read the original context of John 10. Psalm 82, verse 6. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Now, if you look at it in in that context, it doesn't really sound like we are gods. It actually sounds like we are children of God, and we have a beginning, and we have an end. And it actually really looks like that what he's doing here is making, in the Psalms and also Jesus himself, is making kind of like a literary expression that's going on. It probably would be better read is that you are likened like unto God, essentially, right? Made in the image and likeness of him. Not that you are literally gods, lowercase g, okay? So, a literary device to really, and Jesus is, is coming to the Pharisees with this, to literally emphasize our place our inheritance, and our authority as sons of God. Right? You are likened unto God, but you are the children of the Most High. Okay? What's emphasizing here is this notion of essentially inheritance, the authority, and the place you have with God because you are sons and daughters. Right? Now, Notice, as I said, Jesus does not, does not quote all of the context. And he's, and he's really choosing to do this. He leaves out children of the Most High. Now, why is he doing this? I believe it's because he's talking really to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they have a tendency to not take all of Scripture into its appropriate context. They have a tendency in the first century, and the Pharisees in the 21st century in the church do a similar thing. They only take scriptures to use it to fit their political and religious agendas. And so Jesus gives a portion of the scripture to him to almost lure him into a bait. No, we are children of the Most High God. And so Jesus and David or the psalmist is saying, so if you're sons of the Most High God... Act like it. 
right? Act like it. So, all right. We know that we are sons of the Most High God. And we know that we're made in the likeness and in the image of the Godhead. But are we walking that out? We are sons. We are daughters. But are we walking that out and doing what sons and daughters should do? Not only doing, but do we have a perspective that I am a son and I am a daughter? Like many of us are still in this boat like I need to strive and I need to earn. I need to find a, try to find a way to win my father's approval. My, my daughter over there and the two at home, they do not have to earn my approval. They're approved. They're mine. But many in the church, right, we've lost or maybe we've never had this type of thinking. We're, we're thinking that we have to do something, that we have to earn something. And Jesus is saying, no, you're children of the Most High God. You're made in the image and likeness. And we need to grab that. And we need to walk that out. And so here it is, really, God. Everyone is the son and daughter of someone, of course. But in a spiritual sense, you also may be the son and daughter of someone or something. Wow. Okay? Sonship and daughtership is not just like this genetic passing. It's how you're acting out. It is what your character is like. It's what your personhood is like. And I'm telling you that we all are going to be the sons and daughters of someone or something. When I mean by something, it could be an idea. It doesn't necessarily have to be a thing. It doesn't have to be like my actual biological father or my spiritual father. It's, it's that we may actually be walking out and in agreement and carrying out the inheritance of ideas that are profane or not of God. That's really good. Okay. That's really kind of the, 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 the crutch, or the, yeah, the, the crutch, I guess, of the message, right? And so, look, this is what's going on here, going back to this notion of sons of God and gods and God, is this. We know that there's one true God, amen? Right? And three persons. In the Older Testament, there are foreign gods that show up, right? They have a whole bunch of different names, right? Uh, Molech. Baal, Dagon, uh, all these different names uh, that are in the Older Testament. And to be honest, it appears that in the Older Testament, that people, even the Israelites, that were serving the one true God, it appears that they believed that these foreign gods were actually real. Let's turn to uh, Psalm 86. Just so you don't think I'm just making this up. This whole, like, which God shall you serve thing is legitimate. It's not just an idea. Right? I mean, we, had our, we had a sister uh, talking about the, uh, the, the story of uh, Elijah, right? And it, it's a real deal even today. Which God shall you serve? So a little, a little context here so we know what's going on. Psalms 86. Verse 1. I bow down to your ear, O Lord, hear me. For I am poor and needy, preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord. For I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you for you will answer me. Here we go. Among the gods, there is none like you. O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. But what we see here is among the gods, there is none like you. And so there's a declaration that there's, there's these things out there, or this, it seems to be in Old Testament that there are people that believe that there are these lowercase g gods, right? And it's very clear in the scripture. Now, the question here is, okay, are these lower G gods, are they real? Well, I personally think, yes. I think they're like demonic beings, fallen angels. I mean, they don't have power like God. No, of course not. But there are fallen angels, and there is the demonic, that set themselves up to try to be worshipped, right? I mean, we know this through like the occult and Wicca and all that kind of demonic stuff. It's, it's almost like they're trying to usurp the sovereignty of the one true God to default and get people to worship them, right? I mean, I'm hoping this kind of makes, uh, makes sense and you're in agreement here. And so what we have here throughout, throughout history, we have this. In the Western world, in Western civilization, we have some very peculiar things that transpire. I mean, I, we don't have time to talk about Genesis and, uh, and, and the sons of God that went out to the 70 different nations. There's a lot of deep, deep stuff that we could talk about. Now is not the time, but in the scriptures, it makes it pretty clear that there's, there's like principalities that are set up and all this kind of stuff. And I don't want to bore you or, or confuse you with that because it's very, very meaty stuff. But we do know this, man. In the Western world, we have seen throughout thousands of years that the Greeks... The Romans, the Norse, the Scandinavians, they all had these gods. And if you really study them a little bit, it's freaky that these societies that were like almost like from, from Greece to, to, to Sweden are like over a thousand miles away. They have essentially the same gods that are doing it, providing the same functions. And they have slightly different names. Like, are they calling each other to talk about their mythology? Like, Zeus and Thor are pretty, like, exactly the same. Just different names. And they're, like, a thousand miles away. And, like, I don't know, like, like a thousand years apart in history. But they have the same gods with slightly different names that provide the same functions. And so I, I just wonder, like, hmm, did, like, all these people just came up with these ideas? Or, in fact, were there fallen angels that are trying to fool man? Now, fine, that's not necessarily the most edifying thing, but let's just go on a little bit of a story to make sense for us today in the 21st century. It's this. The Norse, the Scandinavians, uh, they settled uh, northern Europe. That's where you get the Anglo-Saxons and the Normans and the Utes and all these people. Uh, this is why Germany uh, and England and, and Scandinavian peoples, are, are they share a lot of similar DNA. Okay, I'll just put it that way. Because essentially the Vikings went around and pillaged all over the place. But when they pillaged and they came, they brought some of their religion with them. Of course, right? Now what happens here is the Scandinavians hop over to northern Europe. And in the year 1000, essentially, the Anglo-Saxons and the Normans, they go over to the British Isles and they conquer the British Isles. 
And then eventually, essentially, the Anglo-Saxons nations uh, settled in the northeastern part of the United States. And I'm saying all this because essentially it's this. In America, thank the Lord, we never really worship these Norse Scandinavian gods. We never did that. But some of their patterns and some of their history is in fact still with us. Take a look. Hmm. Sunday. The day of the sun god. Come the on. giver of all life and light and able to create vegetation. Straight from Sun. From the Scandinavian languages. Sun. Moon day. Also known as Monday. The day that we are to worship the moon. The day that we are to thank the moon goddess, or the moon god, for, for time and calendars. Tu, uh, or Tier Day, Scandinavian and Germanic for the god of war. Tuesday. Wow. The god of war, Tuesday. Huh. Olden's Day. Olden in the original Northern, Northern Germanic languages, Wolden. The day of Wolden, Wednesday. Now, this is uh, in the Western Roman Empire. Anyone here speak Spanish? Oh, speak Spanish. Right? How do you say uh, Wednesday in Spanish? Okay. So that's coming from uh, the Latin Mercury. Okay. So the Eastern portion of the Roman Empire took the Latin and that those gods and goddesses. And the Western part of the Roman Empire, which we are least on the East Coast of the United States, most connected to. There you go. We are taken from the Germanic languages, right? So, Odin, the god, the Viking and northern Germanic god of the underworld. How do you feel on Wednesday? Oh, only halfway down to the week. Oh, it's hump day. No, it's Odin's day. Feels like crap because it is, sorry, feels like not good because it's, you know, the god of the underworld, okay? Mm. So, uh, that is uh, uh, Odin. But what's interesting here, too, is uh, Tyr and warfare is uh, where we get tyranny from. Tyranny, control, power, tyranny. Tyr, the day of Tyr, the day of tyranny. Odin, the day of Odin's day. Thor day, Thursday. The god, of, the god Thor. Thunder, power, Frigg day. The day to worship the eroticism and sexual goddess. Friday. It was the day that you partied. It's before the weekend. You're partying. It's the day that one worships romance and eroticism and all of that. The female goddess. Friday, Frigg, it's pretty, you know, pretty similar. My personal favorite, Saturn. Saturn, the day of Saturn, the day of Saturday. Uh, in Greek, it's Kronos. Uh, it's the god of time. And thank, you know, worshipping time, worshipping all that. So, okay, that's just like one little example. There's lots of examples. Lots of examples that we can take a look at in our culture that are coming from some of this um, Scandinavian, Anglo-Saxon culture that has been brought over to the United States. Okay? At least on the East Coast. But it's like in our vernacular. We don't even think about it. Now, I'm just, I'm just greasing the wheels here because uh, there's really kind of cool things when you start to compare cultures. So in our culture, Monday is the 
essentially a vocalization of the day of the moon god. Now, I know you and I don't believe that, but this is where it's coming. The patterns and the history and the evidence is still with us is what I'm trying to tell you. Now, in Israel, they kind of do things a little different. Sunday is Yom Rishon, day one, when God made the heavens and the earth. Day two, Yom Shani, the day of creation when God made the skies and the heavens. Yom Shishi, the third day of the week, when you reflect and you think about the God making the land and the plants. Yom Revai, when God made the sun, the moon, and the planets. Yom Hamashi, the fifth day, when he made the living creatures and the fish and the birds of the air. Yom Shishi, when God made animals and man. And then the best is Shabbat, the seventh day of the week. When you don't worship time, when you give time away and say, I'm going to reside in a holy time with God. Come on. Come on. Can you imagine growing up and be like, today is day one. Let us all ponder when God made the heavens and the earth. Amen. Oh, it's Wednesday. What's that? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Fourth day of the week. And instead of Odin, you think about how God made the sun, the moon, and the planets and set it all together. I mean, it's amazing, right? So they choose to go off of like the creation days. Come on. Days of creation. Right? Now, okay, this is, I just want you to see the patterns and the evidence of this kind of Scandinavian thing because there's a point to it. And it's this. Today, America has new gods. It's not Thor, it's not Odin. They are the American gods. Come on, dude. This is a, an interesting book. I have to read it. I did a whole bunch of research reading the reviews because I, I heard it on, on, on the radio, on an interview. I was like, this sounds so stinking fascinating. So, hopefully I'll read it sometime this summer. What is going on in this book, which is a novel by America? Just bear with me. I think it really sets the stage here. Uh, the author, Neil Gaiman, says this. The American gods, or the modern gods right now, are the things we give our attention to. The things we give our time to because time is precious. Time is what we use to worship. Ooh, this, wow. is not, this is not a believer. This is like a sci-fi geek. Right? We should be wary of technology. We should be wary of our telephones because we give them our time, our attention, and our love. We should be wary of media. We give the media our time. We give it our attention. Do we worship it? Not exactly. But do we place it in high importance, higher than the kind of importance we would give our fellow man? Yes, I think we do. That's dangerous. Wow. Wow. Let me explain to you what's going on in this novel. Because I like, read, it, read the reviews and researched it. Is this. Essentially, the context of this book is fascinating. The context of the book and the idea of the book is this. There are these old pagan gods that are, have been on planet Earth. No one pays attention to them anymore. So they're losing power. That's why no one talks about them in America. But there are a whole slew of new gods that are now at war with the old gods. And the new gods are coming up, and the new gods are replacing Thor. And the new gods are replacing Odin. And the new gods in America are replacing Saturn. They are. So, let's see here. The new gods, also called modern gods, were the gods of progress, are the gods that currently dominate America and modern society by filling the faith gap left behind by the fall of the old gods. This is the context of this book. Right? There's a gap of spirit. There's a gap of spirituality. There's a, a gap of identity. And whatever fills that is the new American God. 
Now, 2,000 years ago, in northern Germany and Scandinavia, it would be Thor. It would be Odin. Now it's not. So in the book, the old gods and the new gods are fighting it out who's going to retain the power. Sounds like a very fascinating, fascinating book. I don't know, it's just me. But let's get into some of the examples. He talks about, in this book, who are the new gods in America who are fighting the old gods. First new god that he talks about, at least what I research, are the spooks. This is the god that fills the faith gap in your life. The spooks, it's a guy who's actually like a guy, his name is the spook. He is supposed to represent conspiracy theories and fear. Wow, come on. We put all like, our spiritual attention, our future, our reason for being and what's going to happen. We, we worship the god, the spook, who is here to make you afraid wow. and provide answers for your fear. You know those people that are paralyzed by fear? There's people who think that, like, you know, everything is a conspiracy and they're out to get you. He says, this is a non-believer, this is the spook god. People put their faith in being spooked and trying to come up with it. Wow. Next, the media god. Wow. Now, this one's very interesting because the media god thrives off of ritualistic behavior. Ritually going to the media, ritually going to Facebook, ritually listening to the news, ritually doing this to get your answers and your opinion. Wow. So the media god is the one who wants the ritual, wants you to keep coming back and to be entertained. Uh, another god that shows up in the book is uh, the technical boy. This is fun because in the book he's young. So he's like the youngest of the new gods. Because it's so new, and it always has to be new, doesn't it? Like, doesn't technology always have to be new? That's kind of like the definition of technology. And so the technical boy is this. He is representing everything that is technologically advanced, and he has a disdain for anything old, outdated, and obsession with modernity. Wow. Now, as you think about your life, your spiritual life, and what you're filling the gaps with, what are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your time into? What are you putting your money and your resources in? The iPhone 10, 11, 9, 8, 7? Right? And everything has to change and everything has to be quick because it shows that it's modern, it's new, and it's flashy. Wow. It's the waste culture, right? I mean, it used to be in America, waste not, want not. Where did that go? That used to be like an old Puritan like proverb. Waste not, want not. Right? Now it's like, I don't know what it would be, like, waste and want and not. <laughs> uh, fourth one, uh, the stock market, money as a, as, as a god, obviously, putting your faith in that. Uh, and I saved the most controversial one for the end. What do you think it is? No, not religion. Politics? Ah. It's, such a, it's such a high castle. It's such a high idol. Bro, it's such a high idol. We, we, it's, that's the beauty of it, right? When, when things are really... Sports is a good one, but you, when, when things like... When, 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 when the devil is really sinister, it's like you can't... You can't see it, right? You can't see it. It's close to that. Uh, the church is good. The American dream, right? What's the American dream? My life for my kids will be better than my life. Okay, that's cool. But it's not really that, is it? What's the American dream? It's a life pursuing comfort, luxury, fitting in, and then ultimately outdoing others. Right? That's what it is. My neighbor got their driveway sealed. 
I think we should get our driveway sealed. Uh, last week, we weren't concerned about the driveway being sealed. I know, but the neighbors are getting it sealed, so maybe we should. Oh, the neighbors got a new car. The neighbors got some nice new lawn for Oh, the neighbors got their Thanksgiving decorations out. Maybe we need to... Oh, forget about Christmas decorations, right? This keeps going. There's going to be like, you know, the, a giant... Doughboy representing a snowman, you know, overtaking for the family Christmas decorations, right? It's crazy, right? The American dream, probably in the book, the strongest of the gods. Wow. Filling your emptiness of your life with that. Now, the results of all this is this, that essentially it's like a battery charge, right? The more attention the god gets, the more power they get. And so the old gods and the new gods, gods are fighting. Now, you may be like, what the heck is Green Aqua talking about? This is just absurd, weird stuff. I get it. Welcome to Bristol Hope Assembly of God. I know it's a little absurd, but let's get some examples here. I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is this. The new gods are simply the sons and daughters of the old gods. That's exactly what it is. They provide the same function, they just have a different name. Just like your dad, your physical dad or mom, had a function, and they gave you a new name, and you continue out that function. Oh, I'm telling you, Odin is dead. But what's replaced him? American Dream. Amen. Technology Boy. Media. That's good. They're gone. They're dead. But their sons and daughters are still here. Come on. Come on. Frigg, the fertility goddess, and Ishtar, they're dead. She's been replaced by pornography. She's a new name. Still there. People are still serving her. So look, the new gods are simply the sons and daughters of the old gods. And look, to really try to drive this home, let's take a look at the scriptures. Uh, in the Older Testament, there is a horrendous god by the name of Molech. Horrendous god. I I've been to the valley of Molech. It's known as Gehenna. Okay? Gehenna, right outside of Jerusalem... Or Jesus says the gnashing of teeth and the burning of sulfur of fire. In that place, Molech was worshipped. And how was Molech worshipped? The children of Israel would take their children and sacrifice them to Molech. Burn them in the fire, the scripture says. Why? Because Molech was the one who was going to give Israel economic prosperity. New name. Instead of Molech, abortion. Wow, come on. Pass the child through the fire. I'm going to be careful because there's kids here. Pass the child through the fire so that I can maintain my prosperity. I'm not ready. I don't have enough money. How am I going to do this? Blah, blah, prosperity. Having your child pass through the fire to make sure that you keep your prosperity and your, your lifestyle and the promises that you're supposed to have. The old gods simply have become the new ones, okay? And so we talked about this. The new gods are simply the sons and daughters of the old gods. And there still is a question that remains. And it's this. Are you the sons of the new gods or the sons of the one and true God? What are you? I'm a follower of the one true God. Okay. Let's take a look at your life. Let's see what your life is about. It's going to be real with you. If you have put more attention on the American dream than God... I know which God you serve. Not the one true God. 
you pay more attention to the news and the media and TV than you do coming face to face with Jesus, I know who your God is. I know your son or daughter of what you're a son or daughter of. It's not that hard to figure out. It's actually kind of easy. All right, so which... Your son and daughter of which God? Now, how do we know? So good. This is how we know. Three ways. It's probably multiple ways. But I just it's the three I wrote down. What do you put your time and attention into? Very basic, right? Time is the mo- one of the most holiest of things. The first time kadosh holy is used in the Bible is Genesis. The Sabbath day, you are to keep it kadosh. You are to keep it holy. Why? It is. You're never able to get it back. Money, you can spend on whatever and you'll get it back. Time, it's gone, it's gone. So the first time holiness is used is in reference to time in the Bible. Not to places. God is not one of holy places originally. It's one of holy time. The Sabbath rest that Jesus comes to bring us into. The sabbatical age. Time of eternity with God. What do you spend your time on is going to show what you value, what you are putting your attention to. What do you get your value from, right? Son, daughter, a teacher, a politician, a banker, my money, your house, whatever. And I think the one that's probably best is this. I really think it's this. When something goes wrong, to whom or to what do you run? Wow. Right? I'm feeling depressed. Give me some ice cream. Feeling depressed. Let me have a couple beers. Feeling depressed. Let me smoke a joint. Let me smoke a cigarette. I'm uh, feeling a little down and out. Uh, let me just put on the TV. I'm feeling a little stressed out or a little uncomfortable. Let me just take out my phone and scroll. Wow. I mean, it's, it's an adult pacifier, people. Right? Like, social media is an adult pacifier. I feel uncomfortable, and I'm getting my little edge. So, where's my binky, mommy? I don't know. Where is it? I left the house without my binky. Oh, no. Got the shakes with my binky. You know. I, 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 there should be a study done. Those kids that had a trouble sucking their finger and using a pacifier in their adulthood, what, what did they go to? Actually, the studies have been done. We know if you sucked your finger for a little longer than you should have, what do you think you're going to be more likely to do when you're older? Right? Smoke. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's um, stages of... Uh, Okay, what is the stages of? All right. All right. But the Freudian is stage uh, oral fixation, right? So it's very Freudian, and not all psychologists believe in Freud. I'm more of a Jungian, but whatever, in case we do. I think you get the point, right? It doesn't necessarily, but look, it's, it's, right? it's, it's gratifying you, right? All right, so let's, those are the three ways. Right? What do you put your time and attention into? What do you get your value from? When something goes wrong, to whom or to what you, uh, you run, okay? Uh, but now, if you're like, oh, I'm good here. Like, I'm good, checklist, good, right? If you are fulfilling this kind of checklist, and you're, I think I'm good. Let's talk about now, you know, the devil's in the details. Let's get into the nuance. Let's get into the nuance of things. Let's talk about uh, Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus is the place and the dwelling place of the gods, of the Greek gods. To get to them, you would have to climb a mountain. 
My question here is this, determining what kind of son or daughter you, you are and who you're really serving. Oh, thank you. Is this, have we adopted that mentality? Have you adopted the mentality that I need to climb a mountain? Have you adopted a, 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 a mentality that I have to climb a mountain to see God? I need to do something to earn or to receive the favor from him. Wow, or do you flip it and say, nope, I don't have to climb a mountain because he has already done everything that is needed. He's, he's, he, he, so it's this notion of I need to do. There's a lot of doing, okay, in Christianity, right? Well, what did Jesus say to the religious elite? You teach the traditions of men as if they were the very oracles of God. There's so much of that in the church, it's not even funny. How many things do we feel we have to do to see God? To, 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 to pursue Him? Now there's things, obviously there's worship and things, but the reality here is there's nothing you need to do. It's just a submission of, like, of acknowledgement that he, He's already bought you and favored you. I don't have to like fill out a check form like I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this to get to God. That's religion, right? Amen. And so, but how many of that is in the church, man? I mean, you know, um, there's times to do things, but I, I'm hoping you understand what, what I'm saying here. It's like, it's like a striving mentality. And so here, I, look at it, I had that in my notes. Man or many in the church are striving and struggling up a mountain in their life and even in their life of faith. And so if we are approaching our connection and our understanding of what it means to be a son of God, by feeling that I need to strive, I need to work to get the favor, or I need to work to get the luxury or the media or the technological advice or advancement, but even in our Christian walk, if we think that we have to climb up this mountain to get to him, uh, I'm telling you this, is that there's a problem. Uh, and the problem is when they get to the top of the mountain, they see a foreign God residing at the pinnacle. If you are pursuing Jesus by a striving mentality and trying to earn it, you're going to get up that mountain. When you get up to the top, you're going to be like, this isn't Yahweh. This is religion. This is my ego. This is myself. This is me putting my value in my ministry. This is me putting my value in my job. This is me putting my value in that. It's at the pinnacle of the holy mountain, he's not there. He's not on a mountain anymore. I wonder if we adopted this kind of Greek philosophy of being sons of the gods and doing it. And so I want to say this. Is Dana, can you come on down, please? <clears throat> In our walk with the Lord, don't confuse Mount Calvary for Mount Olympus. I think a lot of people do that. Do not confuse Mount Calvary for Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus is the place of foreign gods. You need to hike. You need to walk. You need to strive. You need to prove. Jehovah came down from his holy habitation. Jehovah came down because he's moved by his love and he came down as a son. Amen. He came down as the son of God to show you that sons don't have to climb to meet the father. To show you that sons don't have to climb and strive to receive their inheritance and their relationship and their righteousness. We cannot confuse the mountains. 
he came down. And so there's a couple questions that we really need to do here as we close up. Why did the Father choose to construct the paradigm of the Son of God? Let's think about this. Sovereign God could choose any way to come to earth. Like he literally could just been like, boom, God is here. And I imagine, in many regards, more people would listen to him. Like, can you imagine like the old man beard God? No, I mean, you know, like the father God coming to earth and be like, this is the way it is, people. People would be like, but he didn't do it that way. He chose to come down through the representation of a son of that guy. Why? Like, why would you do that? Like, I think it would be a lot easier if you just came down yourself. I mean, it is himself because they're one and the same, but you know what I mean. Like, with the Shekinah, like the glory crown, like the archangels, like the dirt. He could have done it that way, but he didn't. Another question that we need to answer before we leave today. Who and what is Jesus as the Son of God? Third question. What does this mean for us? Because Jesus says that he is the Son of God. And he is the Son of God. But it's not just that. It's that the Father orchestrated and designed it that he would be the Son of God and not just show up. It's like, why would you do this? So, let's just break it down real quick. The paradigm of why choosing the Son of God. Right? He could have manifested his way in any way, but he chose a son. And why is this? Because God understands family. And he relates to us as a family. And he understands the concept of, of children in life. What is a child? It is two people's love made manifest. He chooses to bring himself down on earth as a child. This is a representation of when two people love each other, life is brought forth. A child. Love made manifest. It's all about his love. To produce love. When people love each other, boom, a child is, is, is consummated. So he comes and he, he, he does that. Now, what is a child? It's not just love made manifest, but when I look at my kids, I look at them and I, I see their future, you know? I see their hope. I see the dreams that... And I dream with them, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And where do you want to live? And what kind of person do you want to be? Like, a child, a son or daughter, represents the dreams of a father. What's the dream of our father? I just want to have fellowship in the cool of the garden again with my creation. The child, the son, a daughter, is, is really is the extension of yourself. Like you literally pass on DNA to the next generation. And so what it comes down here is this. God chose to lay down all of that on the cross. Let's think about this. If God just showed up as God the Father, and there's some kind of weird theological, spiritual thing where God the Father went on the cross, I'll be honest, it would not nearly be as significant as God the Father sending his son to the cross. To display his love. So I'm telling you right now, if there's a choice between me dying and my child dying, I'm picking me. 
the love that he had for his son. He laid that down and saw his death and saw his separation from him to win you. Even more powerful than if he, the God, the Father did it, I think. Because to give up a child is like, right? I don't want to bring tears, but the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being, in my opinion, is for them to bury a child. It's the worst thing ever, I think. That's what God the Father did. Not only did he do that, he orchestrated it all for it to be that way. He didn't just lay himself down, but he laid his son down. All of the promises that he gave his son in the heavenly realm. I mean, read the prophets. I've given you the nations. You're a priest like Melchizedek. You have power and authority on, on heaven and on earth. He laid all of that down. He laid the future down. He laid that vision down. Because you have to lay down all of these promises for the relationship. Now, what about Jesus as the Son? John chapter 10, 15 says, I and the Father are one. As the Son, He is one with the Father. And what does that mean? It means He bears the authority of the Father. It means He walks out and carries out the inheritance of the Father. Now what's interesting here is if Jesus says he is the son of God and he calls us sons of God, what does that mean? It means that we have authority and we have inheritance. That's why he had to convey this as a son of God. This is what he's giving to us. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. We get that because of the chain of command of inheritance. The Son bears the inheritance and the authority of the Father, and He has given that to us. But notice, He's done this, and we get this not by climbing a mountain, but rather... Jesus climbing a mountain. But he also comes down the mountain. He comes off the cross as a sin offering. What about us? And I guess even before we get into us, here's the thing, like, sons and daughters, children have a choice. Jesus did not have to go on the cross. He chose to go on the cross. Even at the very end, Father, if, take this cup from me, but if it's your will, I shall do it. You see, sons and daughters are supposed to, if you're not a controlling, manipulative, whacked out parent, at some stage, at some appropriate age, they're supposed to have self-volition, right? They're supposed to have some kind of form of free will to make a decision. And he made the right one. And so us. It's really this. 
Because Jesus is the Son of God, and what that really means is a nuance, is rediscovering Jesus, is this. Jesus show us, shows us that as sons, we have relationship with the Father. He shows us that you have an authority with the Father. He says that you have an inheritance with Him. They carry out the promises that He has for you. But what also happens here as sons and daughters, this is the tough one, you have a free will. You have a choice. What will you decide? Will you decide to be son or daughter of the one true God or shall you decide that you will be the son or daughter of the new gods? What shall you do with your choice this day? What shall you do with your choice this day? And so why don't we just stand to close out and pray. I just want to encourage you right now through this that do not climb the mountain of the new gods. And it's not just the technology, it's not just the media, it's climbing a holy habitation of God based upon guilt, pain, and feelings of inadequacy. We can't do that. We can't confuse Mount Calvary for Mount Olympus. Right? The Son of God ascended a mountain to be poured out for us to now come off of that mountain to pave a way. Beaten, bruised, poured out as a drink offering to make a way for us to have full relationship, full inheritance, full authority, no longer striving. And when he comes down as a son, he shows us what it now means and what it looks like to be a son. Behold what manner the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we shall be called sons of God. Hmm. Romans 8 Chapter nine, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 19. I love this. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. We have to understand that all of creation has been waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be made manifest on earth. It says here that the earth and the rocks and the plains and the mountains and the birds are actually groaning in their spirit, waiting for people and a little church in Bristol, Pennsylvania to say, I shall be revealed unto mankind again that I am a son and daughter of God. But I'm telling you, whatever you want to call them, the old gods, the new gods, the desires of your heart, whatever it may be, they are going to lure you and pull you in so that you are their sons. And they pull us in so well that we become their sons and daughters, that we forget that all of eternity and all of heaven and all of earth is like, where are the sons and daughters of God again? Right, 
Paul says, they've been waiting until now because they're here. Question here. Can the earth still say that? During the age of the disciples and the age of the apostles, the earth stopped waiting because the sons and daughters of God were here. The question is today, are we here? Are they still waiting? Waiting for people to say no to just pursuing the American dream. No to just pursuing luxury and comfort. No to saying I need to get the latest fad and put all my attention and energies and life into that. Talk to young people all the time. Why do you want to go to college? So I can get a good job and make money. That's a good thing to make money and to get a good job. How many young people respond? A different way. I want to do whatever I do to bring the kingdom of God. I don't know if I'm supposed to go to college right now. I don't know if I'm supposed to pursue a career right now. I don't know. I need to seek the face of the Lord. And maybe the Lord is going to say to be a missionary. Maybe the Lord is going to tell you to take a gap year and pursue his presence. And for us older people, you wake up in the morning. How do I make my life comfortable? How do I pay my bills? How do I get these things done? Or do we wake up and say, boom, my feet are on the ground and the devil better tremble. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. I'm ready to preach the gospel to my boss and to my colleagues. I'm ready to live my life as a poured out offering unto him. I'm ready to live my life as a bondservant, a slave to Christ. Then we see the sons and daughters arise and awaken planet Earth. Lord, I thank you that you poured yourself out as a son so that we ourselves could be sons and daughters. But Father, I pray that this would be a sobering word, that we would look at our lives and say, I no longer can serve the God of mammon. I no longer can be a son of technology. I no longer can be a daughter of mammon. But I want to be a son and daughter of the one true God. Because Jesus is the Son of God, and he paved the way that we could be called children of God. Let it be, let it be done in this day. Let it be so. Let it be so. Oh, let's, just, let's just close out service a bit with, a, with, with some worship. Daniel, so please feel free to just go for it. Let's just seal this in the spirit right now.
just want to wish the fathers here a happy Father's Day. But I also want to encourage you with this. You can't be a father unless you know what it is to be a son. And if you've been a son of the new gods, then you will be a father of the new gods. And you'll teach that to your children. It's Father's Day. We just need a commitment by all, but particularly fathers on this day. Say, I want to learn and I need to meditate on what it means and what it looks like to be a son. A son of the Most High God who purchased me, who loves me, who sees me as beautiful. And so whether male or female, if you feel that there's a part of you that's not surrendered to the one true God, if there's a part of you that has served one of these funny little mythological new gods that I just discussed from this book, if, if, if you feel like you've been serving media a little too long, if you've been serving ego a little too long, you've been serving these things a little too long, just come on down. We just we want to just lay hands on you and set you free because it is time. Oh, it is past due for the sons and daughters of God to be made manifest in Philadelphia again, made manifest in Bristol again, made manifest in Bucks County again, made manifest in America again. comes down to a choice. Have a wonderful week. Feel free to remain in his presence here.